We've already finished the book of Luke. Now today we start the book of Acts as Luke is going to tell us about the birth of the church in the early days of the church. And what I believe he wants us to understand is that you and I are a much bigger part of the story and that you and I could have much greater impact than we could possibly imagine. We just can't do it on our own. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit as we focus on his mission. And that's where the story of the book of Acts starts. It actually starts right here where I am on the Mount of Olives. We've been on the Mount of Olives several times. It was so key in the life of Jesus and even in the early days of the church. Somewhere around where I'm standing, uh, Jesus was with his disciples just before he ascended to heaven, letting them know, uh, kind of giving them the the last instructions before he's going to zip up to heaven. As he's trying to do that, they're a little distracted and they say, hey, is this the time that you're going to come and restore Israel and, and do the political salvation thing? Are you going to return already? And Jesus tells them, dudes, we're not even going to talk about that. Like, it's, it's none of your business. Jesus even says he doesn't know that the Father in heaven will determine that. What he's trying to do is get them to focus on the mission uh, that we're still called to focus on now. And so he tells them, here's your instructions. Uh, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit after I depart. And I want to, one more time, I want to give you the mission. And here's the mission in Acts 1, 8, and 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that statement of the mission gives us the outline for the book of Acts. That's exactly what Luke is going to do. We're going to start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth by Acts 28. Uh, all the way to Rome. So that's the outline of the book of Acts. And then it says, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. That from this mountain, he ascended to heaven. Uh, One day, the Bible lets us know that when he returns, he'll come right back to this mountain, and the mountain will split in half, whatever that's going to look like. But he ascends to heaven. The disciples are still looking up to heaven, probably waiting for him to come back right away. God has to send two angels down to say, guys, why are you looking up in the sky? Jesus told you what to do. Go get busy. And so they do. They go to Jerusalem uh, in this upper room together where they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They have no idea what that would be like, but they're soon going to find out, which is going to take us to our next location. Well, welcome to another really cool place in Israel. Uh, For many, this is their favorite spot, and here's why. These are the southern steps leading to the temple. And a lot of times people ask, you know, when they come out here, I want to go where I know that Jesus walked. I want to walk where Jesus walked. I want to touch what he touched. Well, this site is the one place we know for sure Jesus walked and he touched because he would have walked right up these steps uh, going up to the temple, which he would have done a lot when he was in Jerusalem. He taught on these steps. He would have sat with his disciples and, and interacted and, and uh, hung out on these steps. Um, originally, they would have gone the whole length of the temple. Um, what's above me is very different than what was there in Jesus' day. Uh, that structure is all later. But these steps, which were uncovered after the Six-Day War, are these steps from the temple period in which Jesus would have hung out. So these are the steps where Jesus actually walked. Uh, There's a great story attached to that with Neil Armstrong, the astronaut, who was the first human being to walk on the moon. When he came to Israel, the first thing he wanted from the guide is just that. He just said, I just want to go, I just want to walk where Jesus walked. And so the guide took him here. 
And when he understood what these steps were, and this is where Jesus walked, uh, he, according to the story, bowed down and kissed the steps, and then later said that this moment was more exciting to him, this step, than walking on the moon for the first time. It is a really special place. And the birth of the church and one of the most amazing miracles in the New Testament also happened on these steps. And that's what we're talking about today as we start the book of Acts. And what we're going to see today, what Luke wants us to understand, is that you and I are a way bigger part of what God is doing than we probably think. At least we can be. And that he wants to empower us for mission to be way over our heads. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. We need to understand the story. So the story likely happened right here. We know a lot of the story did, no matter what, of, of the miracle of Pentecost. Um, if, you, uh, if you remember from last time, Jesus told the disciples to go into Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they come into Jerusalem and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come, to indwell them. Now, they have no idea what that means, what that, what that would even look like. Because up to that point, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. The Holy Spirit indwelled the temple, but not people. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So this was very, very new post-Jesus, after Jesus cleanses us. So they're like praying and, and wondering what's going to happen and probably looking at each other quite a bit. There were 120 followers of Jesus after the resurrection saying, you know, Peter probably looking at John and saying, hey, you think it's happened? Like, do you feel any different? You know, and John may say, a little bit. I kind of started feeling something, you know. And, well, maybe that's a gas. I mean, they, I have no idea what's going on, right? Just like the old Gatorade commercials, is it in you? It'd be nice if people turned purple or blue or something like that, but, but that wasn't happening. But when the miracle did happen, when the Holy Spirit did indwell them, there was no mistaking it. And again, likely that happened right here. When it, we're about to read the passage, and when it says that things filled the room that they were in or the house they were in, uh, most scholars believe now it's talking about the house of God, the temple. Um, it would have been, it was on the Feast of Pentecost, which was a Jewish pilgrimage feast. So you had people from all over the world who were Jews who came for this feast. Uh, this would have been crazy crowded. The time of day that it happened that Luke lets us know would have been when all the Jews would have been expected to be right here, including the disciples and the followers of Jesus. And all these people heard and saw and were part of what's going on. And so likely it happened right here. We know that the sermon that... Uh, the, we know that the sermon Peter gave happened right here. Likely it all did. But regardless, let's get to the story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, in the Old Testament, fire was a symbol of God's presence. So it was like God's presence coming on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, just the word for languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. So all of these followers of Jesus, two minutes before, they couldn't speak these languages, but they were now. And they were sharing with people about Jesus and his death and resurrection and what Jesus came to bring, speaking the message. And all these people, all these Jews from all over the world, hearing them in their own language, uh, that was quite a miracle. And, and it was also really remarkable, the next verse, all the crowds of people say, hey, aren't these the Galileans? Which was kind of a dig. It was like people saying, aren't these guys from Alabama, uh, where I'm from? Because there's that little bit of a, 
redneck kind of thing that Galileans had. They had their, had their own accent, so you could kind of hear a Galilean and know. And they were looked down on a little bit as less educated or uh, just, just like with me. If, if I'm in certain parts of the country and people can pick up a little bit of Alabama twang, they automatically, I could see it in their eyes, deduct about 100 points from my IQ. Um, but, you know, Alabama's trying. I mean, I don't know if you know, they, they actually raised the drinking age in Alabama to 35 uh, because they really want to keep uh, alcohol out of the high schools. So, you know, they're trying. Well, the Galileans, right, they were all these disciples who were from that region. They were speaking in these, they were speaking in languages that they never heard. They were empowered. And, and not just to do that. I mean, this is a marked difference from then on. You see it throughout Acts that, that these disciples and followers of Jesus were like superpower compared to what they were before because they were empowered by the Spirit. And you see that right away in Peter's message. I mean, if you remember, if you've been reading through Luke, you know Peter... Got, a lot, got in a lot of trouble with his mouth. He always said the wrong thing. But this sermon that he gave when the Holy Spirit uh, came on these people and allowed them to speak the message, um, it was inspired. I mean, it was compelling and it was clear. It was a home run. He gave the message explaining what was going on and what Jesus came to do. And as a result, 3,000 people believed in the message. 3,000 people now converted to Christianity, to become Jesus followers, which means it goes from 120, the Jesus movement, in that one day, to 3,120 right away. They would have been baptized as well, right, just, they were baptized right away, just right here among these temple steps. Uh, you can see uh, one of the baptismal pools right now. There actually weren't baptismal pools, they were cleansing pools, purification pools for people coming into the temple. Uh, that Christians use to baptize. Uh, they've uncovered about 27 of those just in this little area where, I am, where I'm in right now. So it would be easy to baptize the 3,000. Now that was a miracle. But the real miracle of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit indwelling and filling each one of these believers. Because up to this point, up to the time of Jesus, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. He would occasionally fill people or or empower people to do certain things through biblical history every once in a while. But nobody expected that the Holy Spirit, who's God, you know, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would indwell them. Um, the Holy Spirit indwelled the temple because the temple was holy. And the reason there were all these purification places is because you had to purify yourself to even just get close to the presence of God. But when we begin a relationship with Jesus, He purifies us. He cleanses us. So that from God's perspective, we are as pure as Jesus is. So now the Bible says you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. Not only that, corporately, as the church, he indwells us as his people, as his church corporately, which is actually emphasized more in the New Testament, the church as the temple of God. Well, the first result of all these people coming to know Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in an empowered, incredible way was the church was born. Because as we're going to see next week, what God has chosen to do in the world is through his church. And you have the first local church born right here in Jerusalem. And that had to be really exciting. We read about that in Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, they, all these believers, now 3,120. And by the way, people sometimes dig on mega churches. The first church was a mega church, just saying. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
imagine just being in that community. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved as the church continued to grow. Now, how cool to be part of that group. And they were rocking it in Jerusalem. People were coming to know Christ. They were, I mean, they were serving a community. of just all kinds of incredible things happening in Jerusalem as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit for the mission God had given them. But they, it was far from perfect because what Jesus told them to do was start in Jerusalem, not stay in Jerusalem. He said to start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But they were staying in Jerusalem, not going to the ends of the earth. Uh, a great question is why? So you'll see the struggle in the early part of the book of Acts. Uh, their main hang-up that God has to get them over is when they hear, you know, the plan is to reach the world, they think that means the world of Jewish people because they were so Jewish-centric. Christianity came out of Judaism, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. It was not clear to them that God was talking about all peoples, all the Gentiles, and that we all come to God the same way. The Gentiles don't have to become Jewish first to come to know Christ, and that's still the way they thought. So it made sense for them to stay in Jerusalem because the world would come to them several times a year, Jews from all over the world, like at Pentecost, and, uh, and then they would take it back to their Jewish communities. But, of course, that's not what God was doing. He was wanting to reach everybody, including the Gentiles. And so God is going to have to break them out of their racism, their Jewish centrism, their religious legalism. He's going to have to break them out of all of that. And you'll, you'll read that if you're reading along in these chapters of the book of Acts, just how God does that and opens them up to what God wants to do among the Gentiles. In the meantime, God makes them go because he sends persecution. So he, uh, he uses a guy named Saul, this fiery Pharisee who hates Christianity, thinks it's an abomination, to persecute Christians. Out of, and, and, and they flee Jerusalem, and they end up fleeing Judea. And they go to Samaria, and they take the message of Jesus there. They go to Syria, start a church at Antioch, and, and they go to all these other places uh, farther out where God wanted them because God had to nudge them. God had to send persecution to do that. Of course, Saul is going to become the Apostle Paul when he's converted to Christianity. Now, eventually, they would get it, and they would understand. And that's the last half of the book of Acts, is how they do get what God is doing, and they take the message of Jesus and start churches all over the world, not just reaching Jews, but Gentiles. And God used them to do things that were way above their pay grade, way above anything they could ever imagine. Now, that's the same thing that God is doing today. He is working in his world through his church uh, when a person comes to know Jesus, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us and empowers us for mission. And corporately as a group, he empowers our church for mission. And the point of today is that you're a way bigger part of what God is doing in this world than you think. At least you can be. And you and I can live such bigger lives of impact than we could ever imagine. Should we choose to focus on the mission in an empowered way? I mean, just think about it a little bit. God has given you, if you know Jesus, God has given you a mission. The mission of God on this planet. He's given you a team. That's his church. And we all have a different role to play because we all bring different things to the table. And we encourage each other, help each other grow and serve and live the mission. God's given you a mission. He's given you a team. He's given you gifts and abilities. He's also given you resources. And most importantly, he's given you the Holy Spirit to empower you for mission. And honestly, there's, there's nothing like being used by God 
in, in ways where you know. It's, this is not just me. Like, God's involved in this because he is. He's empower, he empowers people to do what they could never do on their own. And, you know, 2,000 years ago, it was the disciples who were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, the Holy Spirit's already come. That happened 2,000 years ago. So now it's more like he's waiting on us to just get going, to focus on the mission and to jump in in the way that God has called us to jump in with our gifts and with our resources and with our time. And so for those of you who are serving and are part of what God is doing in the world through the church in some way, you're serving in the community or you're serving in one of the ministries at Chase Oaks or if you're involved in another church, whatever church you're involved in, way to go because God is using you to change lives. For those of you who have yet to step into that, let me encourage you to do that and be part of what God is doing and, and find a way. But the truth is wherever God scatters us, wherever, he, wherever we are, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and we have a mission every day. And so here's my challenge for us today. Uh, my challenge for us today is to make ourselves uncomfortable this week. Find one way to do that. Just ask God. I, I believe he'll, he'll you know, whisper something to you. Uh, just influence your thinking. Just say, God, I, I want to know one thing that I can do to love somebody, to serve somebody. Or maybe it's, I, you know, I'm finally going to, I'm finally going to agree to serve in some ministry or to be part of what's happening at the local good center or in my community. I'm going to sign up for something. I'm uncomfortable. I'm a little bit scared. I don't know if I can do it. And that's great because that means that gives room for the Holy Spirit to work. Or even it may just be something smaller than that. It may be just a way that God will prompt you to love somebody who's a neighbor, to love somebody at work or uh, to even... Just continue to love a really difficult-to-love person and, and go out of your way to do so. I don't know what God is going to speak into your heart, but I invite you just to say, God, challenge me. I just, I just scare me a little bit. Just nudge me because I want to be involved in mission. I want to engage just like those people 2,000 years ago were engaged and were like way over their head. That's what he wants for all of us. So with that in mind, let's pray and let's ask God to do that. God, this is such an incredible place to be here on these steps where the church was born, uh, where Jesus spent so much time as well. And God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit in a fresh way, in a new way. That you would fill us with, a, with, with the whole spirit of mission, that we would understand how big this is. That we're not just on this planet, we're on this planet with a mission and a team and gifts and abilities and resources and the power of your Holy Spirit so that our lives can matter way more than we could even imagine. And God, would you speak into our hearts, even just this week, whatever we're doing right now, just challenge us a little bit more to take some step and scare us a little bit. Just nudge us toward mission and empower us and let us be a deeper part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.